I'm so excited. We're diving into this new series, um, just fresh off the, the heels of Easter, and we're talking about a topic that I love to talk about. I'm one of those uh, nerds who enjoys talking about heroes, and I love when the hero movies come out. How many of you have enjoyed the season of hero movies that have been out there? Yeah, I love when the hero movies come out. I go and watch them if I can, um, and then I love talking about them, complaining, saying why they weren't as good as I thought they should be, or being uh, surprised by that. I grew up in the, uh, in the era of heroes. I had a favorite hero. Uh, my favorite hero uh, was a guy we like to call Superman. Any Superman fans out there? Couple of you, right? Some of you don't like Superman because you think he's OP, right? And if you don't speak geek like I do, that means overpowered. And, uh, and uh, I like Superman. I like the tension of all the power you could ask for, but a moral compass to do, use that power for good. And how, how would you behave? I like thinking about how I'd behave if I could just rip bank vaults open and take what I want. How would, how would that work? And so I love the tension of that. But I love talking about uh, superheroes and, and talking and thinking about heroes. And we're in this season where in pop culture, we get a hero movie or a hero Netflix special or a hero cartoon or a hero advertisement or a hero pop-up or a hero something in our face about every day. And so we're thinking about heroes all the time. And it's interesting to me that we have a, sometimes a difficult time figuring out what do we mean when we talk about heroes. And so this series that we're walking into for the next several weeks is we're going to be talking about some of the heroes that the Bible introduces us to, that some of them you know real well, some of them you may not know so well. But the tension of this whole series came from a passage in the book of James. Now, James is the brother of Jesus who did not believe in Jesus when Jesus was alive, because I don't know what your brother would have to do to convince you he was God, but Jesus had not done enough for James to convince him he was God until that first Easter when he came walking out of the grave, James was like, okay, I'm in. And after that, he became one of the first writers and first uh, uh, pastors of the early church. And he was in Jerusalem pastoring a group of uh, Jewish believers in Jesus. And he writes this letter and we call it the book of James, but it's really a letter to early believers and there's all kinds of good information in there. But at the end of his letter, he talks about one of the heroes that all of, all of these Jewish kids would have grown up. So when we grew up, we're out in the front yard, right? And we're like, I'm Spider-Man, right? We're like, I'm Superman. These young Jewish kids would have been out there playing in the yard and they'd be like, I'm Elijah, because Elijah brought down fire, right? And that would be like, you know, that would be the superpower that you would win. You're like, oh yeah, you're David, you got a sling, fire, right? That would be the way that these kids would have grown up playing. And so, so they all had a picture of Elijah as this incredible hero, and we'll get to his story. But James writes this incredible statement near the end of his letter in James 5. And he says this, James 5, 17, he says, Elijah was a man, listen to this, just like us. Time out, time out, time out. When I get into the Bible and I start reading about some of these individuals who lived and the things they did, one of the things that never comes into my mind is, that guy's just like me. As a matter of fact, what usually comes to my mind is, I can't believe that this happened to this person. That's really difficult. And so the entire series is just a introduction to this idea that heroes are just like us. Some of these heroes are just like us. Pastor Mike, you're crazy. I am not Spider-Man. I have not been bitten by a radioactive spider. I did not fall into a vat of chemicals. Uh, I don't have the same, I may have, I have a tragic backstory, but it did not lean to, lead to me becoming the world's greatest detective with uh, invincible ninja skills. And so, so how can I now be 
a hero. How would you do that? Yet here's the scripture talking about one of the greatest heroes in all of history, recorded history, a man named Elijah. And here's James, the brother of Jesus, clearly saying he was a man. He was just like us. He was just like us. Let me actually give you the whole passage right there. Uh, James chapter five, verse 17 says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. How many can get behind Elijah just from that? Come on. (laughs) He just prayed earnestly. I've been praying earnestly for some lack of rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. That's a little extreme. Although I think we could make it. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. James says, this guy was a guy just like you and just like me. He prayed, he talked to God and incredible, miraculous, amazing things happened but he wasn't somehow special in a way that you're not special. He was a man just like us. Heroes, it's a strange thing. I was trying to figure out how to define a hero, so I went to the dictionary, and I found two definitions, and it gave me pause. It was a person who was noted for courageous acts of nobility, of character, but it was also a sandwich, So I'm confused when we start talking about heroes, there is a massive difference between a sandwich and a person of courageous acts of nobility and character. And so where on the spectrum do we land when we're talking about heroes? You see, I like this definition of a hero. A hero is someone who sees what everyone else sees, but they choose to do what no one else does. They see the same information that everyone else sees, but the actions that they take are the actions that not everyone else does. You know, I was thinking about when I was younger, the first time I tried to actually be a hero. Anyone ever tried to be a hero in a situation? Maybe it worked out, maybe it didn't. You tried to come to the rescue, do something great. I was 16 years old and I had a really good job. I was working at Safeway and uh, I was working, I was closing at nights uh, on the weekends. I was working the three to midnight shift, uh, which is great at the time because after seven o'clock, you got time and a half. And so I got a little extra, a little extra cash flow, right? I would close on the weekends and uh, I was the head courtesy clerk, which basically meant I, uh, I was in charge of all the other courtesy clerks. And then I cleaned the store and I was kind of like the security walking around with the broom. I was this guy, need any help, need any help, need any help, right? So it's Friday night. And it's late, late, late at Friday night. The store's basically empty. Now, the store that I worked at was a really nice store. It was actually the second most busy store in the whole company at that time uh, because it was in an area that was just exploding with new uh, uh, people moving to the area. What we didn't realize is that area was actually um, becoming one of the most violent, gang-infested areas we didn't know at the time uh, in, the, in the entire community. It's actually considered the fourth most violent city in all of uh, uh, California now. It's like ahead of Compton and all the places that you think that the place where I grew up, it's, it's, it's pretty rough there. And so, but we didn't realize that at the time. And, you know, we just thought, you know, I don't know, there are a bunch of wannabe gangsters in our town now. That's fine. Uh, and so, so anyways, I'm cleaning up and this group of, of young men come in and uh, let's just say they're clearly up to no good. And they're not old enough to drink by visual inspection, but they're hanging out in the liquor aisle the whole time that they're there. And so I'm over in the liquor aisle with my little push broom. Need any help? Need any help? Need any help? Need any help? Like watching them, trying to make sure they're not doing anything right. And they're filling up a cart with booze. And I'm like, there's no way. They must have someone coming to pay for it or they're going to try to make a run for it, right? So they, they do all that and they throw like a case of beer on the top and they walk that cart to the front. And I'm walking behind them. Need any help? Need any help? Need any help? Right? Doing my job. And they realize I'm not going to leave them alone. So they abandon the cart 
and they pick up just the case of beer. Now, I've never bought a case of beer, so I don't know the exact value of a case of beer, but they pick up the case of beer and they start walking around the check stands. Now, I don't know if you've ever bought anything at a grocery store, but you have to go through the check stands to pay. They start walking around the check stands, right? And as soon as they hit the check stands, they start running. So now I'm chasing them because I'm a hero right? So I'm chasing these guys down. They have a car that they've pulled up to the front of the store and they're jumping in and the guy in the front seat has this case of beer, but the window's down and I'm a hero. So I dive through the window. My feet are hanging out, right? And I start throwing bombs. I'm just throwing, we're we're flailing. They're trying to hit me. I'm hitting them. Then I grab the case of beer and we're like tug of war, tug of war. They punch it. The car's now moving. My hips slam against the the window and I grab the case and I pull out of there, right? It drops on the ground. Beers are breaking everywhere, falling. It's not a resellable case of beer, but they spin off, right? At this point, it's caused a little bit of commotion. The other employees are coming out to see what's going on, right? I walk in and I'm like, yeah, nobody steals on my my watch, right? I get back in the store and the managers come down to see what's going on, the night manager. And he's like, he's like, so what happened? And I was like, oh, I just got in this thing. And he goes, hold on, why don't you step into my office? And I was like, ah, this is where they put a star on my badge. It says Mike, hero, right? So I walk into the office. And he goes, sit down. I'm like, okay. He goes, tell me what happened. I start telling him what happens. He goes, okay. So I'm going to write you up now. And if you ever do anything like that again, you're fired. And I was like, What? I thought I was gonna be a hero. And he goes, do you know how expensive it is to replace you versus how expensive that case of beer was? You never die. So I got lectured and I got blasted and I decided I'm not gonna be a hero ever again. That was the end. I don't wanna be a hero anymore, right? We don't need another, that's what he sang to me. And so <laughs> they don't need another hero. Some of you who are my age-ish, you know that, uh, that reference, right? And so it's hard sometimes to know what a hero is and who a hero is. And the reality is there's some improbable heroes in the Bible. If you get into the Bible, some of these people who are maybe thought of as heroes, they have interesting backstories. Some of them come from pretty shady backstories. Some of them have pretty significant weaknesses of character. Some of them don't do things the way you think maybe they should have done stuff. They're very, very improbable. Some of them have incredibly low reputation. Some of them are just flat out sketch. And then I think about the scriptures in 1 Corinthians and Paul saying that God chooses the foolish things of this world to shame and surprise the wise, the weak things of this world to shame the strong. You see, there is something about these individuals when James says they're just like us, And I look and say, well, I don't know how, if I look at their backstory that particularly special, and I go, okay, help me understand, God, what does it mean to be heroic in your eyes? Is it a sandwich? That I got down. How do I do this whole thing? And so for the next several weeks, we're going to focus on some of the people that maybe, you maybe they were the kind of people that you saw on your flannel graph if you grew up in that era, right? Or you saw in Sunday school and they talked about these people as heroes, And we're gonna just unpackage the reality of their lives in a way that will help you understand that these were people that are just like us. And we're gonna open the conversation today talking about a guy that you've heard of before. As a matter of fact, I don't think because of pop culture and movie incarnations that it would be possible to be an adult in America and not have at least heard this name at some point. We're gonna talk about a guy named Moses. 
So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Exodus chapter three and I'm gonna get there in just a moment. But Moses has an incredible story. He's one of the epic heroes of the Bible. And I don't know about you, but when I think about Moses, I think about some pretty incredible heroic things. Let my people go. Here are the 15, 10 commandments. Some, about five of you got that. Here's the 10 commandments, right? Parting the waters, walking through the waters and the waters closing behind him. Moses has these amazing heroic moments, but I wanna talk a little bit about his superhero backstory. I wanna talk a little bit about the origin of Moses, the thing that set him up to be the person that we have all heard about, seen in film and seen uh, 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 throughout history. When Moses was born, it was a very difficult, dangerous moment in history for him. His people group were immigrants. They were living in a land that was not where they were from. They had fled to this land because there was a famine in the land that God had promised them, and now they were living in Egypt. And for a while, things were going really well. They were accepted, they were welcomed, they had leadership positions, they had influence, but a couple generations go by, and the locals start looking at the immigrants as a threat. There's too many immigrants in our country. It's basically what they're saying. Those conversations never happen today, so none of you can relate. The Egyptians start looking at this people group who have moved into their land and into their territory, and they're saying, hey, we're not sure if they realize it, but they're populating quite quickly. So we're gonna make a strategy to try to keep them from populating so quickly because there's becoming so many of them. It's a burden on our land and on our resources. So their plan was, since they're not from here, they don't have rights and land here, we're gonna go ahead and enslave them and use them as our workforce. And we're gonna work them so hard that they don't have any extra energy left to make more people. Now, I don't know what about Egyptians, but apparently... For most of us, there's very few levels of exhaustion that we get to where we're unwilling to make more people. Just saying. It didn't work. Bad plan. Eventually, they just keep on populating and there's more and more Israelites. And so a ruler rises up by the name of Pharaoh. That's the title of their king. And he says, you know what my plan is going to be to kind of thin the herd here because there's too many of these guys. We're going to kill all the male babies under a certain age. And we're gonna wipe out a whole generation because that will slow the population growth of this people group who have immigrated into our country and are living there. It's a pretty wicked plan. Moses is born in the middle of this plan. If you look back at some of his backstory, Exodus chapter two, you'll see that his mom, for three months after he was born, attempted to keep him in hiding. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a baby before. But it is very difficult to hide the fact that you have a baby. Babies don't comply very easily when you say, hey, baby, it's time to be quiet. They're gonna kill you. The baby goes, oh, okay, I'll be quiet. They're gonna kill me. No, that's not how it works, right? So this mom is struggling, trying to keep Moses hidden, but he's three months old. For three months, she's hiding him under the sink. She's hiding him with the animals. She's hiding him under the hay. She's trying to muffle his cries. She can't figure out. Finally, in desperation, she realizes they're gonna hear this baby and they're gonna come and kill him. I don't know what else to do. I'm gonna have a Hail Mary touchdown pass attempt. And she fashions a basket for him. She goes to the Nile River and she drops him into the river and floats him down the river 
thinking this is his baby's only chance at life. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of the Nile River. I know for me, the picture I had in my head was like a, like a coloring page of a woman dropping a baby into a little soft stream, right? There's maybe a little stone and it, it winds like a little S. The Nile River is no joke. It is a huge river. Here's some things you should know about the Nile River. There are 10 types of venomous snakes that live in the Nile River. 10 times of venomous snakes. There are crocodiles in the Nile River. Crocodiles. There are, I'm gonna blow this, hippopotami. I had to figure out if there was hippopotamuses or hippopotami. I'm pretty sure there are hippopotami in the Nile River. They're actually the most uh, dangerous animal in the river to man. They knock over rafts, they bite and eat anything. This is a three-month-old baby in a basket. She drifts him down the river. In addition to that, there are tropical diseases. There are mosquitoes. There is sunstroke. There are rip-roaring rapids. There is dehydration. I don't know the picture you have of Moses being just dropped into this little gentle basket and drifting down the river for a few minutes. But she puts a baby into the river. That's the level of desperation. See, Moses was born into a perilous time. His backstory's rough. He's part of an immigrant population that is not wanted. There is a death sentence on him from the moment he comes into the planet. She drifts him into the river and the story proceeds that he gets stuck among the reeds and an Egyptian from the house of Pharaoh finds him, sends her servant to collect him and he, she takes him into her home. Now Moses is this incredible, incre now, here's one thing you should just catch. Moses never knew he was in any danger at all at that point. He didn't know about hippopotami, hippopotamuses. He didn't know about crocodiles and mosquitoes. He didn't know the sun could take him out. He just knew he was wrapped up and sent on his way. And sometimes we don't know the danger that we're in until it's over, yet God protected us. And we never look back and go, God, thank you so much because I didn't realize what was around that corner. I didn't realize how much danger I was potentially in, but you saved me, you protected me because you had a plan for me. And I just, maybe, maybe, maybe you needed to hear that this morning. Maybe a, just a moment of recognizing how many times God's come through. But God comes through. There's a plan for Moses, like there's a plan for you. He ends up in the arms of this Egyptian. She's walking like an Egyptian. She takes him home and she raises him. And he grows up in, in Pharaoh's court. By grow up, I mean, he's not 16, he's not 20, he's not 25, he's not 30. He's 40 years old as we pick up the story. And he's lived like an Egyptian the whole time. Now he knows his backstory. He knows that he's got Hebrew blood in him. He's the perfect example of nature versus nurture, of his genetics versus his environment, because he is a Jew by birth. He's of the tribe of Levi. He's a Levite. He's a priestly, priestly ordained. His whole life is, is designed for him to be into the priesthood. He has a destiny on his life, but now he has a culture that's completely different from that. And then at about age 40, a little thing happens that I like to call the incident. The incident is this incredible moment in his life. He's 40 years old. The Egyptians are slaves. And so they're doing what slaves do, the hard labor. And I'm sorry, the, uh, the Israelites are slaves. And the Egyptians are slave masters and they're doing what they do, being abusive towards those slaves. And he comes upon and a, a slave master being abusive towards a slave. 
and he thinks, I'm gonna be a hero. I'm gonna take matters into my own hand. And he goes up to that person who's being abusive and he kills him. This is Moses. Did you know Moses was a murderer? Then he feels really bad and he confesses to his crime. No, that's not what happens at all. As a matter of fact, he looks around and he goes, I don't think anybody saw that. I'm out in the middle of the desert. I'm just gonna bury this dude right here. And he does. He buries that guy and he's like, mission complete. He's finished his job. He goes back home. He comes out to work the next day, doing what he does. He sees a couple of the Israelites in a little scruff, you know, they're fighting. He's like, hey, knock it off. And they go, well, what are you gonna do? Kill us like you killed the other guy? And he goes, ruh-roh. Somebody saw, somebody saw what I did. And I don't know about you, but that's pretty good gossip. That's gonna go through the camp. So he goes back home, he's in a panic. And lo and behold, Pharaoh finds out what he did. Pharaoh's like, kill that guy who did that. He's 40 years old. So he stands up to Pharaoh and he's like, I did the right thing. No, he doesn't do that. He packs up his stuff and he hits the road. A product of one culture, by birth another culture, rejected by both those cultures. He now finds himself alone. He flees into the wilderness. Eventually he hooks up with this Midianite kind of traveling group of uh, uh, shepherds and does some service for them. And so they let him in. They got a gal that's the right age, so he marries her. They start a family together. And he lives away from his people, his adopted people and his people by birth for a long time. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us that by the time he goes and talks to Pharaoh, he's now 80, which means it's been 40 years, four zero. Look at somebody and say 40. Y'all didn't realize it was 40 more years until he came back, right? It's been 40 years and he's out in the wilderness tending sheep. He's not using his Egyptian education. He's not doing his Levitical role within his family. He's just out, hanging out, making ends meet. And this is where we pick up our story in Exodus chapter three. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it didn't burn up. Let's just start with, whoa, whoa. He's 80. He's been out in the desert, traveling through the desert for a while. And he sees a bush on fire. Not only is it on fire, it is not burning up. I can only imagine his instinct. I need some water. I've been in the sun too long. Maybe that bread I made had too much poppy seeds in it. I'm just saying something weird is going on here. So Moses thought, look at verse three. I will go over and I will see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. I don't know if he thought he was hallucinating. I don't know what he thought was going on, but I love that he has some curiosity and some courage right off the bat. He says, let me check out what's going on here because this 
is not usual. This is not what I normally see. Sometimes we got to pause when we see something out of the ordinary and give God a chance to weigh in and say, hey, maybe this is something that's going on. We see something out of the ordinary, like, whoop, that's crazy. And we get away from it as quickly as possible. But, but Moses stops and he goes, okay, let me check this out for just a minute and see what is going on over here. And I love this. Verse four says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God's watching. He's like, ooh, he's going to look, right? Fire. Go look, go look, go look. He goes and looks. says, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. Listen, up until this point, this is a totally rational story. At this point, this story is now irrational. I can buy the bushes on fire. It doesn't seem to get consumed. Something's going on here. Let me check it out. But the moment that bush says my name, I'm out. That's like, peace. Awesome life, Bush, right? We're going this way. It calls his name. And look at what Moses says. And Moses said, here I am. I think I would say, I'm out of here. He says, here I am. This bush is on fire. It's talking to me. Not my weirdest day. Let's check it out. Verse five. Do not come any closer, God said. It's like, whew, freeze, right? Red light. Take off your sandals. For the place where you're standing is holy ground. So Moses is like, okay. Pops off his shoes. He's in the desert. It's like, it's hot out here. And then he said, I am the God of your father. Mm. I wonder how much Moses wondered about his father. Right? His mom put him in a basket, sent him down the river. Wonder a young man growing up in Egypt, identity crisis. What culture do I have? Who am I? rejected by both cultures. And God identifies and says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Listen to this. At this, Moses hid his face. He came to his senses because <laughs> he was afraid to look at God. He wasn't afraid of a burning bush. He wasn't afraid of a talking bush. He wasn't afraid to take his shoes off in the desert. Just taking your shoes off in the desert. I've been in the desert I'm not taking my shoes off in the desert, like ever, unless there's a scorpion in there or some rock in there. Like, no, he takes his shoes off and then the bush identifies, I am the God of your fathers. And he's like, whoa, I've learned one thing. I don't look at the God of my fathers. Somehow he's picked that up. God gets right to the point, verse seven. The Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. I gotta tell you, as I was studying, I kept reading this verse and it kept just filling me with hope and emotion. So I started thinking, you know what? God sees us. Do you ever wonder if God sees us? You look around and you're like, God, are you watching the news at least? How come I know more of the news than you seem to know, God? Because if you were watching the news, you'd be doing some things. There'd be more evidence of your hand doing some things. But here's God saying, I'm paying attention. I am paying attention. I see what's happening. I see what's going on. I hear, come on now, the crying out. God, do you even hear me? Why is the land suffering so much? Why is there so much going on? Why aren't you doing anything? Do you even hear me? God's saying, yeah, I hear. I hear the cries. And listen to this. And I am concerned about their suffering. God's concerned. He's empathetic. He cares. This verse probably gave me more comfort than any other verse in the whole thing. I just kept thinking, God, thank you for caring. 
Thank you for raising up heroes when, <laughs> when everything looks lost. Look at verse eight. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. That's awesome. God's coming to rescue them and to bring them out of that land and into a good and a spacious land. Remember, they're cramped. A land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, somethingites, otherites, and moreites. He says, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me because I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing. I can just hear Moses going, yeah, thunder. God's coming down. He's seen what they've done. He's gonna deal with them. He's gonna give us a new place. This is gonna be awesome. And then verse nine, or verse 10. So now go, I'm sending you. Wait, 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 time out. <laughs> this story was going awesome. There was burning bushes. Things were on fire. You were talking. You were coming to bring the thunder. Why do I have to go? He says, go, I'm sending you to, bring Pharaoh, or to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Listen, verse eight and nine are cool. God's coming down. He's awesome. Verse 10 is the hold up moment for a second here, God. What do you mean you're sending me? You got firepower, bush fire power. If you can bring the fire, what do you need me for? Just bring the fire. What happens next is so great. We're gonna look at the back and forth between a, a man who feels like, I'm not a hero, God, and a God who says, I'm sending you. And Moses is, is full of some hilarious commentary here that I think you and I can relate to because he's a man just like us. He's a person just like us. And we might have some of the same considerations and concerns about doing something heroic even today. And so he gives some excuses, but here's what I want you to catch. God responds to our excuses in surprising ways. If you're ready to make some excuses for God, you better be ready for some of the surprise of his answers. If you're gonna make some excuses, you better be ready for those answers to come through. And so let's look at some of the excuses. The first excuse that Moses gives, he says, you're not sending me, God. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, he's like, wait, time out, time out. <clears throat> Let me introduce myself, I'm Moses. And I know you're really busy and you know, there's a lot of people crying out. You've been listening to their cries. It's probably really filled up your schedule. But let me introduce myself because who am I that I should bring Pharaoh? I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. I'm not that guy. He goes, you might not realize this, but 40 years ago, they issued a death sentence on me. Pharaoh said, kill that guy, and I ran away. That wasn't two weeks ago. That wasn't two years ago. 40 years ago, the last time I laid eyes on Pharaoh and the court, they were saying, kill that guy. I am not the guy to go and do that work. I don't have the authority anymore. I used to be in, in Pharaoh's house. Why don't you find someone else who has authority to do that? Verse 12, and God says, well, I'll be with you. So God, we're gonna have to have a conversation here because my people have been in slavery for a long time. I've been on the run for 40 years and I can't understand how you want me to be the guy that goes and does that. And God's response is, well, I'm, I'm with you. I'll go with you. I also love the fact that 40 years of shepherding, we now have a more humble Moses 
See, 40 years ago, he saw some injustice and he's like, oh, it's hero time. I'll just beat this guy to death. I'm a hero. Now he's like, I don't have that kind of authority. I've tried to be heroic and it didn't work out. Who am I to go and do something heroic? And God says, well, I'm gonna be with you and I want you to catch this. We often don't think we have the authority to do what God's called us to do. We often don't think we have the authority to do what God's called us to do. You have a dream in your heart, something that came from the Lord, and you're like, I think this is the thing I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to share my faith in this way. I'm supposed to start this company, this business. I'm supposed to use this resource for the kingdom of God. I think, I, I think maybe I'm the guy to do that. And then you look around and you go, oh yeah, no, I don't have the authority to do that though. No one's gonna let me. I'm not trained. Moses has not been for 40 years studying, getting his master's and PhD. He's been hiding, being a shepherd avoiding responsibility for his actions. He has not been in a season that would be a traditional look of preparation. And he says, I don't have the authority to do this anymore. And God says, but if I go with you, I bring the authority. If I've assigned you and I'm with you, guess where the authority flows from? Not from you. How many dreams, maybe even in this room, have not come to fruition because we just doubted that we could do it? Someone should do that, but I, I can't do that. You know, it would be awesome if someone just did, did, did this thing. That, would change, that might change the whole, that might, uh, yeah, but not me. I don't have that authority. I'm not that guy. But what if God was with us? You see, the point of the story is simply that God's presence with us overcomes our imperfections. And our imperfect life and our mess that we've been through and our backstory is just the canvas that God wants to paint his masterpiece on. And if he's with you, who could be against? God already knows your story. He knows your skills. He knows your abilities. He knows your background. And he's not concerned about them if he's with you. So Moses' excuse to not go to Pharaoh doesn't work, so he tries another one. Verse 13, he goes, well, Moses said to God, suppose the Israelites, I go to the Israelites. So listen, he's already done. He's like, he's like, listen, I get it. If you go with me, we can wipe out all the Egyptians. You can light bushes on fire. You can light Egyptians on fire, right? That's fine. I know that you can wipe out an opposing army, but have you met my family and friends? Because changing minds is way harder than wiping people out. And he says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, then what is his name? What should I tell them? He says, if I go to them and say, God has come and sent me to you, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to change. They are stubborn. And they're going to ask, and I love you, he asks a very specific question. He goes, who, who should I tell them? Send me. Because they're going to ask me, on what authority are you asking us to do this? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is an incredible statement of God, by the way. It's one of the most powerful statements. It's the first time God gives himself a kind of a specific identity throughout the scriptures. And if we had time, we'd go into a word study and we'd search and you should do it. All the implications of God saying, I am who I am. We'd fast forward to history, to the book of John and Jesus. They're asking him, whose authority are you saying and doing these things? And he says, I am. And they get so mad because of this reference saying, I'm the same God that was in the burning bush talking to Moses. And they're so mad at him that they pick up rocks and want to throw 
throw them at him until he, die, until he dies, but he gets away from them. Like We would explore all of those. I just want to focus in on one simple point of this. God is making incredibly clear one truth. He says, hey, I'm the same God. If they, if they don't believe you when you say, I sent you, you tell them, I'm the same God. I am who I am. And when he says, I'm the same God, he says, I'm the same God of Abraham who called Abraham, you can go to this land and I'll be with you and I'll make you into a nation and you're the evidence of my miraculous power, the fact that you're a nation right now. I'm the same God. If he says the God of, uh, of Abraham, Isaac, he goes, I'm the same God. All of your stories, all of your faith are rooted in encountering your entire nation is connected to me. I'm the same God that, that, that spared Noah and flooded the earth. I'm the same God that breathed life into Adam and said, let there be light and there was light I'm the same God I wonder sometimes when we get a little nervous about stepping out of our comfort zone and taking on whatever it is God called us to do if we're nervous that God's not the same God we get in the scriptures and we go yeah this God called down fire I haven't seen any fire lately but God's like I'm the same God well this God could heal and he demonstrated his power and faithfulness time and time again. And God's like, hey, 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 I'm the same God. And we say, hey, I, I want to step out and, and take this risk, but I'm not sure God will have my back the same way he had Elijah's back. And God's like, hey, same God. He tells Moses, hey, you're nervous because you got to try to change some minds when they're arguing and debating you. You just say, hey, same God. You know, that God that you say you believed in. Sometimes I think we've, we've morphed our image of God. And God says, I don't change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we're like, yeah, but you were that way then and you're just this way now. And he's like, no, same God. Moses makes a plea, his second excuse. He says, they're not going to know who you are. And he goes, they're going to know exactly who I am. I'm the same God. I'm the same God, I'll change. <laughs> We fast forward a little bit to chapter four. Moses is continuing to have this debate. Isn't this a beautiful debate with God? Isn't it incredible to just experience? Moses, he's standing there and he's like, he's like, God, you're gonna do this amazing thing. Why do you need me for? And God's like, you tell him I'm the same God. And Moses answers chapter four, verse one. He goes, okay, but what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? I love he's got these what ifs. Like, God, maybe you haven't thought about this, but I'm gonna get out there. And what if they actually say, we don't believe you and God did not appear to you and you're out in the sun too long. I'm 80. What if they go, hey, 80 year olds that are shepherds out in the sun so long sometimes come back with crazy stories about things that happened to them in the desert and we don't believe you. It's like, this is a practical application. How's this gonna work? And God says, um, what do you have in your hand? I love that. God says, what's on you? What resource do you have? What is your current level of resource? Right? He goes, I got a staff. I'm a shepherd, so it's an important part of my job. And I'm walking around in this mountain of God. So I'm using this walking stick. He goes, I got a staff in my hand. As if God doesn't know what it is. But <laughs> he goes, this is, my, this is my staff, my shepherding staff. God says, okay, throw it on the ground. This is the funny part. Like, okay, I'm 80. It's my walking stick, but here you go. He throws it on the ground. 
and it became a snake. I just want you to get this picture. What do you got in your hand? This is a burning bush. He's just staying in a conversation for this long is incredible, right? By, by the way, to get this far into a conversation with a burning bush is insane, right? Before you just go, I'm, I, I'm out, right? This is maybe the moment, the actual moment when I'm out. No, there's one more moment after this. I'm really out, all right? But at this point, he's like, take your stick and throw it on the ground. Whatever you have on your hand, put it into motion. Put it into, like, it, use it as a resource. Throw it on the ground. Bam, it's a snake. Now, I love this because up until this point, Moses has been pretty brave, but I want you to remember, he's not wearing any shoes, right? He is experienced probably out here in the wilderness. Snakes are not his friend. They eat the sheep, or they bite the sheep, the sheep die. They bite the shepherd, shepherd dies. Snake on the ground. And it says, and he ran from it. He's got no shoes. How far can he run? I don't know if the whole thing about taking his shoes off was for this moment or not, but I laughed as I thought, how far is this guy gonna run with no shoes? His shoes are off, stings a snake on the ground. And listen to what God says to him. It says, and the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. I'm officially done. This is as far as I could have gotten to the conversation, right? I could be with you, burning bush. I can have the debate, God, I'm okay with that. I can throw the staff on the ground and you make it a snake. Whoa, okay. But reach out and grab that snake by the tail, pastor my gout. That's the end of my conversation. I don't make it to the hero status. That's where I tap out. But Moses doesn't tap out. He's barefoot. Apparently he ran in a circle or the snake pursued him because he can reach it. And he turns around and the snake turns around because he grabs the tail. And he grabs it and it turns back into a staff in his hand. This is incredible stuff. This, he said, is so that they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, and I love this. He's like, okay, now take your hand and put it in your cloak on your breast. And he does. And he pulls it out and he's like, ah, leprosy. That's a weak move, God. That's like not fair at all. <laughs> I'm like, come on, God, seriously? Leprosy. And he's like, relax, put it back in. He puts it back in and he pulls it out and it's restored like the rest of his flesh. That's a pretty good move, God. You got my attention now, right? And then he goes on to say, and if they don't believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they don't believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and the water you take from the river will become like blood on the ground. What is the point of all this? God says, you have everything you need to do whatever I called you to do. Sometimes we're like, I don't have the resource they're not gonna do, I, like I would take that risk, but I can't manage it. I only got one dollar, throw that dollar on the ground. I only got one hour, throw that hour into play. I only got whatever. I got one shoe, throw that shoe. God says, what's in your hand? What resource do you have? I'll amplify, I will provide, I will do the work. I will take the resource you do have and create a resource you didn't think you ever could have. I'll do that part. Your resources are not the problem. I love this picture. Verse 10, his final excuse. Moses said to the Lord, um, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, I love this, nor since you have spoken to your servant. He's like, in the past, I wasn't good at speeches and apparently I'm not good at speeches now because three times I've tried to tell you no and you keep saying yes. And so apparently this isn't like, I, the 
words that are coming out of my mouth are not making sense to you, God. And since if I can't get you to understand that I don't want to do this, how am I going to get them to understand anything? I don't have the words to do it. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. And some versions would imply that maybe he stuttered a little. Maybe he had a little of an impediment and he couldn't get all of his words out. He says, I have a problem. I'm not the eloquent speecher, speech giver. See, me either. <laughs> me either. And here's the thing. I don't know how many moments, I don't know how many moments we've had opportunity to do something simple and heroic. And we thought, what would I even say? I see their need. I see their situation. I'm hearing some of the story and I feel almost like the Holy Spirit's given me some kind of impetus to go and to do something kind and to get into their world. But God, what would I say? And what if, they, what if they banter back with me and now I'm on a ledge and I'm out here standing up for God and I don't even have a defense? What would I say? I don't have the words. I'm not eloquent, right? That's what, that's what that church pays that one guy to do. He does the eloquent thing. I don't have the words. I can go pick him up and bring him. Don't do that. Moses says, I don't have the words in the past, and I'm certainly not getting my point across right now. Verse 11, the Lord says to him, who gave man his mouth? Whoo, them are fighting words. He says, time out, Moses. Who is the designer of mouths? Is it you or is it me? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And then the foot comes. He doesn't have a foot out, but I just see it. He goes, now go. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. He says, how many times do I have to say that I've got this with you? I already told you I'm sending you. You're the one. So the fact that you don't think you have enough authority is not a problem. The fact that you don't think that you are eloquent enough is not a problem. The fact that you don't think you have the resources to get it done is not going to be a problem. Here's the thing. If God is not concerned by what I cannot do, should I be? Why are we so concerned about what we know we can't do? And God does not seem to be concerned about the things we know that we can't do. So Moses, having his argument soundly defeated, makes one more final plea. And this may be my favorite verse in the whole thing. Maybe in the whole Bible. I may have to highlight this. This is not the tattoo you want to get, but it's the one you want to joke about getting. Chapter 4, verse 13. 13, Moses is completely at wit's end, and he goes, Oh, Lord, just please send someone else to do it. <laughs> Isn't that a great human response? Like, I don't have any more arguments except for this one. Please send someone else. <laughs> and we do the same thing. We see a need and we go, oh, I just, oh, I don't have time. I can't get involved. If I say something, then there's going to be back and forth and I'm not going to have the words. I don't have the resources. And you see it and you're like, God, you've made a lot of people. Just send one of them. There's got to be someone else. And his last and final kind of defense, most human moment of the whole thing is just please send somebody else. Now, I don't have time to keep going into this argument, but God gets a little heated. You should read the story. <laughs> and he does something which is incredible and kind and in his nature. He says, I'm gonna send you some help. 
and you got a brother and named Aaron. He's a little bit older than you. He's good with the words. I'm going to send you in. I'm going to bring people around you. And here's the, here's the nature of God and the beauty of the church and the body of Christ. He brings people, come on now, around us who have the pieces we don't have. And he provides in those resources the things that are needed so you can accomplish the mission he's called you to do. And he's always designed us to accomplish things in teams. He's always put people together to get more done. And God says, oh, I got, I got one more piece of information for you. You can bring your brother and he'll handle some of the speaking stuff for you. You just go and bring the thunder. And Moses goes, okay, I'm out of excuses. I'm done arguing and bantering with you. I'll go. He goes back to Jethro and he goes, okay, let me go. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back to the land I came from 40 years ago and ran from and see if any of my people are even still alive because who knows, they were killing us like crazy back then. And Jethro's like, go, see what happens. And because of that moment when he said yes, you know who Moses is today. If at the end of that conversation, he still had a moment where he could be like, no, I'm not going. I don't know what God would have done. But you know who Moses is because of that conversation. Because he put up his debate and says, here's all the reasons why I can't do it. And God said, here's all the reasons why you can, because I'm enough. I'm enough for you. So here's my question. Maybe the most heroic thing that Moses did is the thing that you and I can choose to do. And it's simply this, we can choose to be available. Maybe all of the excuses that we've laid out over why we can't be heroic, maybe God's enough to overcome all those things. Pastor Mike, I don't have the resources. Yeah, what's in your hand? Pastor Mike, I'm not eloquent. That's not my job to be eloquent. Who made your mouth? I like that. You got to move your head a little bit if you can just say it that way. Who made your mouth? Pastor Mike, just please send someone else. Okay, but they're going with you. They're going with you. I'll send you some help. God's cool that way. So here's how we're going to kind of land. Would you stand with me? I never like to have a message where we don't give you some practical application. And for the next several weeks, we're going to be diving into the conversation about things that help people to be heroic. But here's what I just want to leave you with. I'm going to leave you with a, a very practical homework assignment. I know it's spring break for a lot of you, and you're like, I don't want any homework. Don't worry. All I want you to do is have your eyes open and your radar tuned for opportunities where the Holy Spirit of God may give you a little, just a little nudge, just be sensitive to that little nudge and say, oh, this is a moment where maybe I, can, I could avoid this conversation or I could have this conversation. And maybe this conversation is something that could lead to life for this person. Or you know what? There's a need that I've known about or I'm suddenly aware of, and it might take a little bit of sacrifice for me, but I could maybe help with that need. Maybe there's a moment even just in your family where, where something's about to come out of you, doesn't look as healthy as it should. And the most heroic thing you could do is take a moment I say, God, with your help, I'm gonna go into this with the right attitude, the right mind, the right heart. You're gonna help me with the words and we're gonna leave and something heroic's gonna happen. Maybe it's an, a work issue and there's been tension or someone's in need. I don't know what it is, but you're, just, you're gonna be having your eyes open and your heart sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to, to just recognize that you might have the opportunity. Listen, some of the greatest heroes in my life, they just were available. I just... I just was at the end of my rope and they said, hey, are you okay? And I was like, 
yeah, no, I'm not okay. And I was waiting for them to run because no one wants that answer, right? We want the answer of, yeah, I'm okay. You're like, good, I'm glad you're okay. Woo, and I can go back and do my thing. I was like, no, I'm not okay. And I said, sit down, what can I do to help? And they just listened to me. They didn't solve my problem, but they were just there with me. And they don't know that, but that was heroic because God sent them in a moment when I was in incredible need of just someone to care. And they cared for me. Simple. Maybe this week, God could use what you have in your hand to be heroic. So here's how we're gonna close. I'm gonna invite you to do this. I'm not gonna make you do this. But if you're willing, based on my very simple, practical challenge there, to, to, to choose to be available. And maybe it takes more than a couple. We're gonna be in this series for a few weeks. And so, but just throughout the kind of the life of this series to just say, I'm, I'm available, God. If you need a hero, I'll be your person. These hands are available. If that's you, I would just like to invite you to put your hands out in front of you like this, and I'm gonna pray. You don't have to do it, but if you'd like to do it, you can do it. Jesus, in a very practical and honest way, we recognize all of the impractical reasons for you to use us, but somehow you do, and you choose to. We recognize that the same God, come on now, who can cause walls to tumble, who can hold the sun in one position, who can part, come on now, a river so we could walk through on dry land and then crush our enemies behind us, who can provide food and resource. That same God doesn't need us, but partners with us so that we can be a part of what you're doing here on earth and can move through us and we can be a part of that and you can take whatever it is we got and use it for something heroic. And so we just want to make ourselves available. And we commit to have eyes to see. And maybe it's just in our neighborhood. And we see something, we're going to be here. Can you imagine if just a group like this came together and said, we're just, going to, we're just going to be intentional. And not because of pride and wanting to be heroic, but we just want to be like Jesus and be compassionate and love our neighbors like ourselves. And that'd be pretty heroic. So we invite you to nudge us and to overcome all of our little obstacles. And we just say, we're available and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.